All right. We are, as you probably are aware, still in the letter of Colossians. Uh, remember the Blues Clues song? We just got a letter. Uh, that's, what we're, that's what we're looking at, this letter. And I want to just kind of give you a quick schedule. Next Sunday, the founding pastor, Jonathan Dorst, will be here preaching. I'd like to have him come out if he's willing once a summer and he is able to do that Sunday. And then we'll finish out Colossians leading into Labor Day. So we'll hit chapter 3 and part of, just a touch of chapter 4. Uh, and then, starting in the fall after Labor Day, we'll go through the book of John. We'll start a new series. So that's exciting. So we're kind of at this midpoint in Colossians. We finished chapter 2. We're going to start chapter 3. And something has been really churning in my heart since I started studying the letter that I really wanted to talk about this morning. That is the role of the church. As you read a letter like the, book of, like the letter to Colossians, it's very easy for Americans primarily to think this applies strictly to me individually. When I was at seminary, uh, there was a guy in our missions class that came from Asia, and he stood up and he dropped his pen. I don't need to do that because you know what that looks like. And he uh, asked us, what just happened? Someone raised their hand. You dropped your pen. He said, Exactly. In Asia, they would have said, your pen dropped. So we are a culture who has no fear of speaking to the individual. You dropped your pen. And he wasn't bashing Americans. He was simply saying, as you engage in other cultures, be aware of these differences. In the same way, I want to be aware of our differences as we read this letter. Are you aware of the fact that Paul is both talking to you as individuals, but he's talking to the church? So I've asked, uh, this, the sermon doesn't start till I read the passage, so I've requested a slide. What do you see? Someone say what you see. You see an old woman. Doug sees an old woman. Other people see the young woman. You've all seen this before. You can remove the slide. We've all seen that. Do you all see the optical illusion? Did anyone not get that? Because I can pull it back up if you've never seen that before. Okay. My, I was going to describe that to you, and I thought, let's do the slide. we got this great thing, and Justin found it and put it up there. I think, uh, like that slide, we often approach Scripture, all Christians from the early uh, church, and probably different cultures see it through a lens, either the young woman, individual, or church, depending on your favorite, or the old woman, that is the, the opposite. And this morning, I want to go back and, and tease out a few, a few verses that show us Paul is writing to a church, okay? Paul is writing to a congregation. So, with that said, we'll start with verse 2 of uh, chapter 1. Um, Paul opens the letter by saying, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He's writing to the church, the saints. In verse 12, Paul says, he's, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, the church, to share in the inheritance of the saints. Now he's saying, you, congregation, are joined with all the saints that have gone before you. In verse 18, Paul is uh, in, this, in this famous passage sharing the beauty of Christ, talking about his preeminence. Now he says in the middle of that section, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the head of the church. The body. And then in chapter 124, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh 
I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Just to say one quick note before moving to the last verse, Paul is not saying Christ lacked anything. What he is saying is the reason you eventually heard the message of the gospel after Jesus ascended was because other saints carried that message through affliction to bring it to you. So now you have received it. Paul ministered to the Colossian church. They're going to minister to others. So Paul is again saying it's for the sake of his body, that is the church. And finally, chapter 2, 1 to 3, we looked at this recently. This, there's a part in this, in this verse that really sticks out that is why I chose it. Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, there, right there in the middle of that, you, you see this, this scripture knit together in love, that the church is being knit together. So let's pray and we'll launch into this discussion. Father, we praise you that you have granted this church here at Grace to be a part of the universal church. And Lord, that we are shown the mysteries that have been hidden for the ages. That is the mystery singular that is Christ, you. We praise you, Jesus. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes this morning to better understand the role that we have in our local church and it has in our lives. Amen. Some of you have seen the title of this uh, sermon, This Is Us. Raise your hand if you're one of those that loves this show, This Is Us, okay? Some of you like it. Some of you aren't sure you like it. Confession, I've never seen it. I started it one day, like the very first episode, and I thought, this looks really good. Maybe Emily and I will watch this. It's kind of emotional. I don't want to watch it by myself. We haven't yet got around to it. But since then, we've heard how amazing it is, so it's on that list uh, I do know enough about it to know this. It, a lot of dramas, TV dramas, are kind of plot or genre-driven. If you're Alex Trebek, it's genre, but I say genre. Uh, you know, that is, they say, look, we're going to have a show about pri being private detective or being police or being in the medical community. This is us. It's like character-driven. It's like, here are these people, very different, related as a family. They have different lives from different things they're doing, but it's going to have this, all of the stories going to come from what their daily life looks like. Does that make sense? Plot-driven versus character-driven. Now you can ignore the this is us part, because maybe that didn't work. Grace Church seeks to be a character-driven church, right? Uh, I think the local church ideally is a character-driven church. That is, yes, we want to offer things. We have a morning worship. We have small, we have things we offer but the church is you, right? The church is not us. Um, the church is what you guys and we do in our daily lives, in our family lives, in our vocations, and uh, in, in, in our contribu contrib contribution to missions. Whatever we're doing organically is the church. This is where we gather to worship, right? And I want that mindset to be kind of held. Um, I was at a lunch at what I'd call a mega church. Uh, a few years ago, 
And they had kind of an epiphany where they said, you know, our missions mindset has changed. They had read a book called When Helping Hurts, and they said, we've realized that if we just send tons of money and tons of people to places, it could hurt things. What we need to do is measure effectiveness differently, right? Like, how is the mission actually transforming lives? I'm not trying to be rude. I just remember thinking maybe that would be good to apply to what we do here as well, like in church. Like, most of us evaluate churches by size or by programs, by plot. How, I don't know how you would go about doing it, but how do we, how do we, and I think at the end of time, we'll see the congregations that really did amazing things with very little because they believed the gospel and they were knit together in love. So that's my hope and prayer this morning that you will gather and maybe see that the primary means that we receive this mystery, which is Christ, is through the participation in our local church. Now that's what I'm going to talk about. As a disclaimer, uh, I was not raised in church. Um, I was not a pastor of a church till now, like four years ago-ish. So this is not some drumbeat I've always been raised with. This is something that I'm still coming to understand. It's very awkward. I was raised in, in an idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Many of you have been raised with that mindset. So it's a very interesting thing to realize we're knit together. We're to work together. We're to love one another. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be beautiful. Okay? Three points. I'll just start with the first one. I wanted to hit and, and spend some time on what it means to be knit together. Again, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, uh, but primarily verse 2. Paul is saying what he longs for is this church at Laodicea, which is up the road from Colossae. And there are others he's not seen face to face because he didn't plant them. Um, that they would have their hearts both in the congregations, but even as they're kind of geographically close, knit together. Right? What does it look like to have something knit? Um, I, I'm not, you know, I've walked into a few fabric places and you see the spools, and it's just astounding to me that that thing on that spool becomes like this, right? Those little tiny weak strings that just dangle become fabric that you wear on your body, right? So there's power in being knit together. There's power in the fact that we are com- combined and connected to one another. And so the, co- the goal is, the question is, what does that look like and how does that knitting happen? I didn't, ask, um, I didn't ask for this slide to be up, but on verse 19 of chapter 2, I'll just read it to you. Paul is warning them of the negatives, but then he says, essentially, I'm going I'm to word it in the positive. We are to hold fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If you are a ligament or you are a joint, you need to be necessarily connected to something else. I'm not really good at anatomy. I think if you're, okay, let's just say a muscle. If you're a muscle, you're connected to what? The bone? Anyway, just listen, bear with me. You're connected to whatever the next thing is. And the point is, you're, you're moving that thing. Like, just being a bicep is useless if it's not bringing the arm around, right, and doing heavy lifting. So just being a body part by itself is, is not enough. It's being, it's being working with other body parts, receiving and passing on these, these things. I'll talk more about that as we go. 
what's the point? We all get this. We all say this. We all say, I want to be connected. I want to be known. I want to have authenticity. Yet I think as a culture, we're as bad at that as we've ever been. Personally, I'm bad at it. I think there's something in all of our fallen natures that recoils and gets fearful the moment they're snubbed. We were driving into our neighborhood just yesterday, and I, there's a brand new house that went up. Many of you have followed that on Facebook. Um, and the new tenant is there. She's a college student. I saw her standing out, and I waved like this as I drove by, and here's what she does. She goes, And from, this, from the moment I pass my mailbox where I'm waving to my driveway, I'm thinking, this person has snubbed me. She, she doesn't know who I am. She thinks I live deep in the neighborhood. I'm your next-door neighbor. This is going to get embarrassing really quickly. Emily's just like, I'm going to walk over and meet her. Gets the dog, walks over and meets her, and comes back. She's delightful. She obviously didn't see you. Like, it was a mistimed moment. You know, she's at her new home, and she doesn't know you're waving. Maybe the window's tinted, but I had already dismissed her. She's dead to me. <laughs> now, I'm being somewhat confessional here, but we do that pretty quickly. So we get into a congregation, and it continues. We think, no, no, we all love each other. We all know each other. I bet you, if we took a quiz, about four of you could name everybody in this room. About four of you. Maybe, let's just say that all the elders and deacons, just to be friendly, could name the rest of you. But I will tell you, it's probably not true. So, um, we say we want this connection, and we're actually made for it, but often we, we recoil into our orphan-like selves. Uh, when we, okay, another illustration. We, we got a dog. We've had a dog for six months. She's a year old. That's a big deal for us. Most of you get dogs. It's no big deal. You get the next dog. You get the third dog. doesn't matter. For us, we, we told the kids at Christmas, you get a dog, and then we waited till the next Christmas. That's how, like, that's how bad of parents we can be. Like, next Christmas. So we, in fact, a common line in our family is, I still can't believe we actually got the dog. <laughs> well, I was the one who was there when the, the breeder pulls up, and, and I take the dog out, and I'm just thinking, uh-uh. She's just kind of like stale and furry and older. You know, you think you're getting a puppy. We got like this large adolescent dog. <laughs> Emily pulls up about five minutes later, and she's like, oh, come here. I'm like, thank you, Lord, here. And I'm kind of backing away. I'm going to get back into what I was doing. This dog was a dud. Sets on the couch, doesn't move. We're, seriously, people were like, Is, I think there might be a problem with your dog. There's, doesn't, she doesn't go to, but now, if you see this dog, She's like a year old, so puppy mode is ending officially. She's amazing. She's still a puppy. She chews up everything, and we kind of like love it. Like we're like, chew, oh, don't chew that. Drop that. You know, chew that instead. And what's happened? We have five people. There's six in our family. I'm the most reserved. Five people who are just doting on this puppy. It's amazing the love this little animal gets. It's a little bit annoying, but it's amazing. And, and I've actually, I can't, as I've seen this transformation, I'm thinking, what about you and I? How might we be transformed if we actually receive that kind of love? You walk into a community and people are actually excited to see you. You're known. They're not rejecting you. They listen to your stories and they move towards you. There's this knitting together in love, Right? What would it look like? I'm going to now, as we move into this discussion, highlight two ways. Point two is there is a mission in being knit together. 
And I'm going to highlight two ways that I think this knitting of love can happen in this congregation. The first is mission outside of our walls. Um, I think there's a thought that we need a way to do missions until we have everything settled inside our walls. Another way of saying that individually might be, until I have my act together, I really can't help my neighbor. The problem is it's just not true. Um, I, I read a book on the, the neuropsychology of psychotherapy or something like that. I told you about this before. But just this one chapter on altruism and how even in a non-Christian, purely scientific setting, through brain scans, they realize when you help people, you become happier and better. Now, that's not the motive. I don't want to steer us off course, but I do want to say, personally, I've seen this in this kind of group setting where you share a story, which is really difficult to do. It's a personal story, and you have six people listening and kind of sharing, helping you. It's very painful, but very helpful. But then, when you're finished, there's six other lives that you're going to engage in prior to your being finished in that moment. And what that does is that, like, you leave thinking, I've helped six people, right? And so there's something God has in, made in our beings that when we help people outside of us, missionally, whether outside of us in this room, outside of us in this city, on the campus, across the world, there's something that that enlivens in us, that creates in us a love and a knitting and a closeness together. Um, let's look at the passages where this may come from. Right at the very beginning, Paul says in verse 4, and, and again, these aren't going to be on the slides, so just a reminder, this is church. Not a bad idea to bring your Bible. If you feel judged, I'm sorry. <laughs> Email me, I feel judged. I don't always bring my Bible either, but occasionally I'm going to jump around. Okay. Verse 4 of chapter 1, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So here's this young church Paul's never met who apparently loves all types of saints. Maybe they're sending money. Maybe they're sending, and probably what we know, Epaphras. Uh, Epaphras came into Colossae, starts a church, probably even from there, but they seemingly send him back to Paul. Paul's in chains. So they send him back to maybe minister to Paul or go wherever Paul would have him go. Later in verse 23, Paul says, this gospel of which I myself have become a minister. So there's this, he's in chains. If ever there's a time to go, turn off missions, right? Shut down the mission plan. I'm in chains. Paul turns it up and writes a lot of great letters that we now call scripture and our scripture. Toward the end in chapter four, he tells them, he asks for their prayer. Because he's saying, verse 3 of chapter 4, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. What? We already believe, Paul. We're the Colossian church. No, no. Yes, you believe, but help pray that we would go somewhere that doesn't believe. Help us go into, into other places that need this gospel message. Um, I, I picture... Sort of in the Old West when there was a fire, you know, they tell you that everyone took a bucket. You all know that story? You take it, someone dips it into the well, and then you pass it along. I see that as kind of what's happening, this longing to, why, why would I, if I lived in, in an Old West town, join in on that? Because I either have had a fire, I know a friend that had a fire, or I realized 
my own structure can burn down. Because of my reality, I'm going to jump in and make sure your reality is safe. So I'm going to get in, I'm going to find a spot, and I'm going to take the water, I'm going to pass the water. Right? So I'm getting involved in missions that way. But also the mission inside the walls. I think we have to do both. We have to love the world outside, but how are you loving the people inside? This is where I want to kind of highlight again. We're not going to pull it up, the slide from earlier. In chapter 3, Paul gives a famous put on or put to death, take off one set of things. And he follows it a few verses later with then put on. You put off these bad things, you put on these great things. That's, right, a lot of theologians would call mortification of sin, vivification of sin. Or you can just say becoming a better Christian, however you want to word it. Uh, going back to the slide of the woman, a lot of times we read that as individuals, right? Like, what do I need to do? Oh, I need to stop. I need to start. And that's certainly true. And when we get to those passages, that'll be my primary emphases. But this morning, I just want you to notice a few things as I read the list. In verse 6 or verse 8 of chapter 3, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. These aren't things you can do in isolation. These are things that are probably being done in, a, in the church setting. And Paul is warning them, and he warns other churches, we know about it, where he says, do not cut, you know, do not cut each other down. Do not tear each other down. This is a place of refuge, a place of safety. If I can't come in here and not be slandered behind my back, if I can't be a part of this community and not be talked about, how long will I want to engage in this community? And then he goes on and it says, put on as God's chosen ones. In verse 12, holy and beloved. Here are the things he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What Paul is unfolding is this amazingly difficult reality that sanctification, that is growth in Christ, happens in community. Now, a very obvious place where we see this is marriage. Many theologians have said Ephesians is a very much a sister letter to the book of Colossians. And in Ephesians 5, we know Paul uses marriage as the metaphor to the church. It's usually read for marriages, which he says, of course, it applies to marriages. But primarily what he's saying in Ephesians 5 is we are related to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And we are to submit to him. And as a bride, we are to love one another and knit together. And I will just say this, um, it will never happen if every time there's a conflict, you're afraid the person's going to reject you, right? If there is a, like in a marriage, if it was sort of like the vow is something like this, till annoyance do us part, you know? And then at that moment, I may leave. Honey, I'm not talking to you. Well... I'm going to, the other day we were in a staff meeting. May I bring up your wife? She's not here. Someone was talking about breath and mints, and she's like, oh, I don't care about my breath. I'm already married. Thankfully, they've made a commitment till death do us part. But if it was just casual, it might be like, I've got to keep my breath up. You know, I've got to keep my, I can't be known. You know, the proverbial honeymoon can't end, or actual honeymoon. We want to be a church where the honeymoon can end. We want to be a church where you can be who you are, right, and, and, and bring in 
struggles and pain, but also love others and share your life with others and being knit together. Do you know the people in this room? I mean, I'm going to get really, we're having this meeting later. This is my church moment. This is my chance to just ah, share some things. Uh, I, I have to, we have a, by the way, this church, just so you know, we have like a really amazing overlap of people. Like we have a lot of visitors, a lot of guests. For being a small town, I don't know if it's the university, so I don't expect you to know everybody in the room. So we're just going to go around, just kidding. Um, are you waiting for the leadership to come up with a perfect program to meet your neighbor? Or are you inviting your neighbor in your home? Are you visiting with people that make you feel good about yourself? I feel like there's, by the way, I want to brag on our church. We do very well when someone's in need. When someone says, I have a need, we do very well, right? When someone says, I have this problem or I need help being moving, we do pretty well. Um, We could always do better, right? But I think where we might struggle is getting to know the people that aren't my best friend or in clear need, that middle group, which is like 89% of us. Do I want to know you? Do I want to have you over? Um, and I want to tell you, I struggle with this. I'm just up here talking, but if I waited until I had this under control, then we would never have this sermon. Um, there's a C.S. Lewis quote. Let's just look at it. It's kind of a funny quote on the front that I think kind of gets at the point a little bit. He says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. Caveat, as a Christian, if I have the spirit, I actually have a spirit of love. He's simply saying, if I wait around till I feel it, it may never happen, but sometimes simply putting yourself in those places with people. Um, Jack Miller used to say this, and I think it's a fabulous question. Do you ever ask someone, how is it with your soul? Something I have observed in my own conversations and many of your conversations and many conversations across the world is we do this, hi, I'm not doing great, and the other person says, yeah, me too, I've had that happen too, Right? Like we relate by just taking over the conversation. How do you handle a bid? If someone says, yeah, it's been a hard week, I've had those. My weeks are hard too. What are you doing for lunch? No. Maybe we actually say, tell me more. Let's grab coffee. How can I pray for you? Maybe we share our heart some more. Maybe we open up the reality that we struggle. You know what? I've, I've had bouts of that. I've had bouts of depression or anxiety Um, maybe we pull back the mask of perfection and begin to open up with people, risking that they may reject us. Because without these behaviors, without these realities, we will not be knitted together. We will not really know each other. We will not feel like we have a shared value system. I want to end in our third point by saying, how do we do this? And of course, the answer is the source. The source is the answer. Um, I've had a few conversations lately we had a conversation with um, the owner of um, District Bikes, Bobby, a great guy. Uh, many of you may know him and buy bikes from him, but they have a Friday night party where you go out and you enjoy a fellowship. And he says, it's kind of like church. And it, it, I'm sure it really is. But my guess is I would only enjoy that as long as I liked riding my bike, right? As soon as I quit liking riding my bike, I might go, I'm not going to hang out with them. 
right? Or CrossFit. Like, CrossFit is an amazing community. We have a lot going on, but there is this one little annoying thing. You gotta kind of like CrossFit. If you showed up to one of our gatherings and you don't like CrossFit, you're gonna hate the gathering. I'm not trying to be mean. There's no air conditioning. They're often doing a cookout on a, on like a deal that's like 120, and the, your buy-in to the cookout is the workout. So if you don't like that, don't go to CrossFit. If you like it, look up Mark and Rhonda. The church must have something we all like. You follow me? Like you can't just go to church and just hope people are friendly. There's got to be something better than a bicycle, better than a workout program. It's got to be deeper and larger. And the answer, of course, is it's Jesus. You're you're taking these buckets of water and you're passing them, but there's this substance in the bucket, right? You're not spitting and handing it off like that's living out of the flesh. That's my horrible analogy of I'm going to get in the line. I don't know where the water's coming from, so I'll just spit and pass it. There's moisture. Just trust me. I need a source, Let's find that in our past, in our letter, of course. Paul says um, at the, uh, in verse 13, referring to God, he says, God has delivered us, that is the church universal, and us, the local church, from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then in verses 15 to 20, I, I highly encourage you to read that passage over and over. Paul begins by talking about how he is the one who created all things. But right in the middle, he says, and he created the church. In verse 18, he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. And then in chapter two, we've already read, I'm gonna read it again. He's praying that the hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach what? All the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. What is, the, what is this mystery? What is God's mystery? Christ. You come here, you can have Christ. How? Well, hopefully I'm preaching a gospel message, but individually as well. And I don't mean come here on Sunday mornings. I mean you get together in relationship. You pray together. You share life together. You find ways to know Christ in, in different measures than you can sitting by yourself at home. By the way, if you're like, no, no, I like to sit at my home with my Bible. I don't need the church. Well, what translation are you reading? If it's not the original writing of Paul, you've needed the church to write down something and pass it on and then finally translate it and print it and hand it to you. Many of you will sit in a room and you'll say, I don't need to go to church. None of you say this, people. And you might say, I don't need to go to church. I remember hearing a great sermon on this passage on the radio. Well, some church asked that pastor to preach that sermon. Like, we're connected And so what Paul is showing us is we're connected, but the beauty is we're connected not to just each other, but to Jesus. So when that water is coming freshly, it's coming from the never-ending source, which is Jesus. I mentioned we will be looking at the Gospel of John later, and probably one of the high points of the entire, well, there's many, the I am statements of John, where Jesus says, I am, and at one point he says, I am the, the well, he says this. I'll read the verses. I will be with you a little long. Where am I? I hope I'm in the right location. Oh, there we go. Sorry. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
So Jesus is the source of this living water. And it's amazing to me that he walks into a room of religious people and he says, is anyone thirsty? And you would assume people, oh, I'm good. I'm good. We've just had a feast. They've provided some wine. We're fine. You can tell everyone leaned in. What do you have? And Jesus says, I have the source that you're after. I have the water you long for. So for the final thought here is, we are adopted in Christ, we are brought into his kingdom, his inheritance, and we have the source, which is Jesus. Are we going to him privately? And I want to encourage that. Privately, with my scriptures, am I privately bringing my life before the Lord, confessing my sin? But then am I bringing that publicly? Am I taking the water? That's important. But I don't just take it and watch the fire burn. I pass it on. Am I, how am I coming into the community? How am I getting involved? How am I caring for you? Whether you are a member or not doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be this church or not. If you're someone who's like, you know, I'm kind of on the fence at grace, I understand. Choose one. I think there's a thousand in this town. Pick one. But when you pick it, give yourself a few weeks and then jump right in. Don't wait around. Don't be that person. At RUF, we used to have these concentric circles. Do you also use those, Shane, in the philosophy of ministry? We, so here's the irony. We do, the, each little ring represents people. Some people come in, they're not Christians, and then people, they're Christians, but they're not involved, all the way down to like very, very involved in the middle. And we would say a healthy church or a healthy ministry has each of those rings. And some people go, well, why would I want someone to always be on the outer ring? We don't. We want outer rings to get new people and we want the outer ring people to move in a little bit and then a little bit closer and then a little bit closer. The idea is as the gospel is ministering to me, as I'm ministering to my friends and, and neighbors, I'm falling more in love and getting more involved in the local body. And Jesus is transforming me through that. Amen? Jesus is the source of water. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for the local church, warts and all, and there are many warts. But, Lord, we know that you are the great physician. And we praise you that you are a redeeming God. You are a God that forgives. You are a God that puts your spirit in our souls, uniting us to you. You are a God that will transform this little group into a kingdom-effective body that's marching through time for your glory. And I pray that you would use us in that way. Amen.